0: Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, jb 3 and it is community of practice time. For those who joined us last month, we had a conversation all about evidence-based practice, and we brought a few different perspectives to the table when talking about suicide prevention and what's best for community. This month, as we're still celebrating National Social Work Month, we are talking to three Black therapists not just black therapists, but black male therapists. And it's important that we preface this conversation in that context, because in many instances we see this notion of the black community not participating in mental health or mental health conversations. And it's so important that we one debunk that myth and two generate the type of discourse and conversations that will reveal there are black social workers out there. There are black men who are doing social work. And there's also people out there who are looking to be healed emotionally, mentally, and behaviorally. And so I've got three of the best guys that I know on the line who are going to talk all about what it is to be a black man in the therapeutic relationship, navigating that MSW graduate program experience and also just this notion of resiliency and what it's done to us. You would think that we have it all together all the time. And that frankly is not true. And I don't want to steal any thunder. So I'm, I'm going to wrap up my intro here quickly, but please listen to the episode. it is a raw realization of the black experience in therapy. I'm really excited for this episode, if you can't tell. It's probably, is without a doubt, the longest episode that I've had. Okay, let's just start the episode. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Dr. William Coombs, Gary Taylor, and Christopher Scott.
1: What's going on? Fight on, brother. Um, Dr. William Coombs, as JV3 said, uh, I am a clinical social worker, a doctor of social work. I'm currently right now working as the executive director of Villa Oasis uh, Treatment Facility uh, in San Diego. Um, An opportunity to kind of take what's worked for me in individual therapy and my individual style and expand that across a whole program. So it's something I'm really excited about. Um, The model works for me. I have no idea why more people don't take the authentic approach. Um, but we're about to figure out if this thing works for real. So I'm um, very happy to be here, brother. I've been uh, been waiting on this one for a long time.
0: Hey, glad to have you.
2: Absolutely. What's up, y'all? My name is uh Gary Trey Taylor, licensed clinical social worker here in the state of Virginia. i'm always glad to be on Equity Matters podcast. Shout out to James and everybody on here, Dr. Combs and my man Chris. Um, yeah, so um, I just recently started in private practice working with um, Black men in December, and um, I've also run a support group for Black men called the Goodfellas Project, which we meet um, every month. And so, um, you know, I'm this is my first time actually doing a podcast episode um, as the, in the role of a therapist and talking about therapy. So it's good to be among my brothers of the clinical therapists um, on this episode to. To hash those things out here today, so thank you.
3: My name is Christopher Scott. Uh, I'm a I am a pre licensed clinical social worker in the state of Oregon uh, from Portland. I work at a um, intensive outpatient program. Um, plenty plenty years of doing juvenile mental health work. Also, just recently started private practice as well. Um, trying to really get my voice out, help help uh, you know black men. Um, Trying to you know find a space to become emotionally intelligent, just kind of have a really a really a um, you know a space to just kind of say, hey, the world sucks, and have somebody say, yeah, I hear you, yeah, I'm here with you. So it's kind of my mission.
0: Hey, all valuable work, all necessary work. And so, just to kind of kick things off, I really want to talk about processing some of those difficult times. So what leads men, I mean, especially black men, to not be able to process and talk about some of those emotional experiences? I mean, growing up, I know some folks grew up in poverty. Some people had early trauma. I know in school, they like to talk about ACEs a lot, but what is it that happens for black men to not process that information?
3: Mm. Well, for me, um like I'm super subconscious of like of like you know who I relate information to right because like even like I have close friends that I might you know vent to or stuff but then there's some stuff that if I say you know like you know will it be judged will it be took the wrong way um and I feel like those kind of like that those those kind of thoughts have followed me all through like childhood because like when you realize it's like how how racism is traumatic so like when you, so when you go to your friends and try to like, you know, vent and then they start ragging on you, like you really realize that you're all traumatized and some people's, you know, response to trauma is just jokes. So, so like, you know, you know, to be that vulnerable, it's kind of like, I have to have like permission to like be vulnerable and then I'm able to be vulnerable. And if I don't get that permission, I usually don't do it.
1: Yeah, I'll, um, I'll keep that, keep that idea going. Cause I, I would say that, I think the thing that makes us mm, resilient and the thing that makes us strong is also the thing that cripples us in this arena. Uh, we get used to it. Like there's a lot of things that happen in a lot of our development and upbringing that just become a part of what happened. And especially since it happens so widespread, then you have entire communities who experience the same thing. And that became really apparent. Like, so I live out here in Southern California now, life is a little bit easier than where I grew up in Baltimore city. Um, And I would see a client here in California who would say, okay, I had a close friend who died. And that one event will devastate the entire family for a decade. You know, There's years and years worth of work that has to be done just to get over this one event. If I were to go to Baltimore and try to have that same conversation, my clients would look at me like, yeah, and? Like this happens every day. This is not new. This is not trauma. This is reality. So when you grow up in that environment, it's almost like taking to to take your mental health serious and to recognize a traumatic event almost requires taking a step back and then realizing, you know, dang, like my whole life was like this. And Mm -hmm. until today, it was always okay.
2: Yeah, I I wanted to piggyback off of that, too, as well. Like, um, I think that the fact of the matter that we so much trauma that we have inherited and generational trauma that has plagued us for centuries has grown to be normalized um, in our in our in our surroundings, in our neighborhoods, in our families. And so that's where it, it becomes normal. So we don't talk about it, but we don't process it because that's the that's how we. That's why that's how we get over stuff. We just don't talk about it, don't process it. The other thing I wanted to share with that is I think shame, shame is a really big, uh, big catalyst, I believe, in us not having that conversation or willing to process and be vulnerable with with other people or other men. Um, like Chris said, like, you know what I'm saying, and and, and you know, Dr. Combs said, like, the fact that our resiliency is one of our, you know, kind of a gift and a curse thing where, you know, we might get joked on because we might share that we're having, we're, we're, we're being upset, we, we're, we're not doing well, we're sad, we're emotional, we're feeling like this and it might end up as a butt of a joke. You know what I'm saying? So the shame of just even sharing an emotional experience as a man, as a black man, telling to be, you know, man up, get over it, push through it. You're supposed to be a man. You're not supposed to cry things that we've been told over time and over centuries has, has led to the fact that we cannot open up and be vulnerable and process. And it's just one of those things where I feel like, you know, it goes back to the generational trauma of it all. Where, you know I'm saying, you know, dad, grandfather, our grandfathers had to be, you know, stoic men in order to survive and make sure that we put food on the table and provide for our families. And so that type of mentality Um, not opening up about what we're going through, um, not showing the family any weakness. You know what I'm saying? We had to be strong and push forward for our families to provide for our families and stuff like that. So I think that's one of those, a couple of those things that, that lead to the reason why we don't openly process those thoughts, emotions, and behaviors.
0: So since we've kind of set the stage with that inability to process, I would say that currently you actually see a lot more openness about talking about mental health. I mean, not necessarily to get into a diagnosis, but you're seeing a lot more celebrities talking about their experience with mental health. Kid Cudi comes to mind. Kevin Love comes to mind. How have you seen this impact in the field?
1: Oh man, I'll kick this one off. Cause this one, like, depending on how deeply you think about it, you know, you can feel opposite ways about it. On one hand, You appreciate a kid cutting. You appreciate someone who takes things and says, things weren't good for me and it's okay. I struggle and it's okay. Um, I think there's value in taking that everything is perfect. Life is a great, wonderful image off of celebrities um, that we all see, you know, we see them every day. And we assume that that is the standard, the, the life that we see on their music videos or on, you know, and them on social media is the definition of what success is. So when you have somebody like Kid Cudi, who's able to still put his art out there, but be so vulnerable, um, there was a whole generation of people who were awakened by that. Like, whoa, this sounds like me. Like, this is the same things that I go through. Maybe it's okay. Or at least I have this community of other people who understand me. Um, On the flip side, Now you have people who that is their go to. We go Mm. straight to everything is terrible, everything is the worst. I'm so sad. So, where things are, you know, it's it's the other extreme where now that we've acknowledged that it's okay to be not okay, it's now almost cliche to not be okay. and, you know, I think that's where the work, our work has almost become more like, how do we keep people inside the boundaries of, yes, please be vulnerable, but let's also look at things for what they really are.
3: Mm. I definitely feel that, uh, you know, I was just about to kind of, you know, um, say that about Kid Cuddy, right, like he, he did kind of cr- create the space to say you're not okay but he did also create a lane to it's okay to be like not okay and then and then like 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 kind of kind of like sit in it and like dwell in it and then like medicate to a level that's not healthy you know because i mean kid cutty he did he did make that lane for people who didn't have uh you know like didn't have a place in hip-hop but at the same time it was kind of like a halfway kind of thing because like he didn't say hey i'm depressed i'm sad go to therapy he said i'm depressed i'm sad i'm going drown in my sorrows with weed and alcohol and you know and all that kind of stuff right so 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 i mean and not saying you can't you know indulge or you know, hang out or whatever but 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 at the same time it is it is harmful to like only tell part of the story you know so so i i do appreciate him especially because like that first his first mixtape and you know, his first album was like, man, like, like, I feel like I, I, I really just felt seen having somebody like that, like, like in the rap game. Right. But as I get older, you know, and kind of realize what mental health is and you see all these, you see all like, all these young rappers that like kind of made a, you know, kind of like, just like a resurgence of like, just kind of like, like self-medicating to a point where, I mean, the one dude was, he, he had to go to rehab. Um, What was his name? Um. I I can't do the name right now but he he went to rehab and his friend like you know like they they were like sitting there you know and and they were like happy for him which is a a happy thing to do but I feel like you know like when he got to the rap game you know what I'm saying he just really like had everything had had all the abundance of things and really wasn't like like from an outside perspective I I feel like he was running from something but it was kind of talked to him that it was cool to kind of just drown your sorrows in, in you know, in in all your vices, and then, you know, and then you know that's how you cope. So, so you know, like I said, I do appreciate that, but I feel like it left a void. You know, saying like, you know, like you know, just kind of looking back on things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, to that point, before um, before we go to you, uh, Trey, like it's almost like the kids who hear the music, they want that now. Like they can't. You'll have somebody who's maybe okay, and then they see somebody like Cuddy and they look up to him, and now they're like, "I gotta find something to be upset about. I gotta mm. find something to. I want to relate to this. This is this is so cool, and I want to be sad too." Uh, so now you have, you know, the kid out in Beverly Hills is like, um, "I'm gonna kill myself because I normally get colossal shrimp with my dinner, but we only got." The medium sized shrimp and I'm so depressed about it now.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's that all of that is facts, man. All of that makes sense. I want to take it to another level where, you know, we we talked about this not too long ago, as far as mental health influencers. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think, you know, I think it's amazing that the celebrities, right, are opening up the doors for you know, to talk about mental health and, and put that in the music and, and, and be open and vulnerable with everybody and their fans because so many of us look up to us, the celebrities out there, right? But with that, I feel as though businesses and agencies, you know what I'm saying, all the folks that make the world go around have monopolized that and monetized the pain and suffering of us in those spaces. And so what happens is that they make the celebrities, such as like such celebrities, these, these pillars, right. And these advocates of, of mental health, but they're not really talking deeply about the real issues. They might talk about depression. They might talk about a little anxiety. They talk about how they started doing using mindfulness and, and meditation efforts and stuff like that. They may tap into, they may tap into the the substance abuse side, but see, you know, even with the substance abuse is, is not as open. You feel what I'm saying? And so with that being said, you you see the 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 influx in the last couple of years of influencers using that same kind of, you know, same type of platform, same type of skill, same type of uh, play in order to, you know, monetize off the pain and suffering of people. So when they reach out or look at these celebrities that look like them, or they talk, they, they say, oh, well, you know, Kid Cuddy went through that, you know what I'm saying? He helped me through this, da-da-da-da. They really at times, you know, only hitting on the surface level issues that they may be dealing with. And so then they still find themselves in the same spot or just a little bit better than what they was off, and still and still needing some more treatment and some more help to address their mental health issues. So it's really surface level mental health work at this point. And that's what I've been seeing with how the openness of celebrities um. In that, in that realm and what has happened. Just like, I mean, I think me and JB talked about it one time. You know, Kevin Love came out as almost like the ambassador of mental health for an NBA, then DeMar DeRozan. But Ben Gordon, Ben Gordon, and I think he ended up with uh, even – it was bipolar with psychotic features or schizophrenia or whatever it may be. Um, Yeah, he wrote a little, you know, a player's tribune, but he's not the face of mental health for an NBA. And see, I believe – with that, those agencies, those businesses are only marketing mental health as a buzzword, um, trend, trendy-type word, cliche-type word to only address the surface-level mental health issues and not really allow people to go in-depth, right? Or doing something like something whereas Taraji P is, where she has this foundation and she's bringing in clinicians to help folks. You feel what I'm saying? Versus just having celebrities take that torch and people not really, people not really getting getting the help that they need
1: Delonte west comes
2: to mind yeah Delonte west yep yep they laughed at him
4: yeah. but
2: y'all but everybody's so big into you know, taking care of your mental health and making sure that your mental health is good Delonte west clearly mental health wasn't that well and maybe there's some substance abuse going on in that as well but again like substance abuse the only thing they talk about with that with celebrities is that oh she was taking you no know, drugs and that's it you feel what i'm saying Right. Not addressing anything else with that in regards to that, what that may look like. And again, that's why I say that these businesses are profiting off of that. But also the fact of the matter that the it's it's only cool to to have some anxiety or some depression and 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 some stuff like that. Everything else is just, oh, that's 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 too much to talk about.
4: Mm, that's real. So,
0: it wouldn't be equity matters if I didn't ask, you know, what role do you think race plays in that? Because bringing up like a Ben Gordon and a Delonte West, and then you bring up a Kevin Love. I mean, I don't wanna say it's obvious, but it, it. what role do you think race slash racism plays with that?
3: I mean, it's, it's significant, you know what I'm saying? Because, um and it could be timing you know but um but i feel like race definitely because i feel like you know like you have kevin love and you know he, he says he says something once and it gets like buzz right so like i mean and before because you know, i remember like uh i think his name was larry sanders he had quit the nba because of depression yep still, still really got like no really no he wasn't the ambassador you know like he just left right so so, uh, so I feel like because Ben Gordon, not Ben Gordon, um, you know, because Kevin Love is, you know, obviously white and he was a champion, things like that. He gets to be the ambassador, but the other ones, you know, get mentioned, but then it's kind of like, you know, we, we, you know we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, help you out. But at the same time, you know, Kevin Love is the guy who gets all the praise for really, um, you know, bringing mental health to the forefront. I mean, even on 2K, you know, you play 2K against Cleveland, they say that on 2K about Kevin Love. So like, so yeah, I mean, so that's, that's obvious, you know.
1: Yeah, I think uh, somebody like Kevin Love doesn't have the background, right? He doesn't have the things that we can say, oh, he's messed up because. Kevin Love is supposed to be okay. So when we see him come out and say he's not okay, then we all go, wait, wait, hold on. There must be really a problem going on here. Whereas though somebody like Delonte West, you know, when he was going through what he was going through, even when he was still in the league, everybody just went, you know, dude's crazy. And that's it. And, you know, to your point before, uh, JB, he wasn't looking for that help. He, 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 he was all right with who he was and it just was the way that he was. And people ignored it because he could play basketball. Um, another added element to his story is that people forgot about Delonte West. He got Mm -hmm. out of the league, he went away, and nobody cared what he was doing. And then you have the savior, Mark Cuban, who brought him Mm -hmm. back to the forefront. And now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, because Mark Cuban is is so invested in this young man, now we look at it as he needs that mental health help. He needs, he's been going through things for a while. Um, it's a blessing that Dante, I'm glad he's alive. I'm glad he made it to the point where he's now able to get that help and, that, and that's not even a knock on mark cuban but at the same time you always ask that question like were you really invested in this young man or do you know that if you are the one who's rescuing him from where he is you're going to get that pub
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, because that pub was not there and delante i think he was homeless somewhere living on on the road
4: yeah, yeah.
1: And, and nobody was worried about him um so yeah. Whether it's on purpose or not, I think just the the dynamics of this country, race is always going to play a factor.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, even going back to what you know, Larry Sand talking about Larry Sanders. Like, matter of fact, I went to school with Larry Sanders at VCU, and um, you know, when he went through his little situation where he said he didn't want to stop playing ball and, and was depressed, and you know, you know, and it the pub the publicity was like, man, he making all that money how he ain't happy. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Or Josh Gordon, who keeps getting in trouble for marijuana, which I don't know why really... He's not doing any hard drugs. He's doing marijuana. So, but the Josh Gordon situation, that gets thrown out. Why you can't stay off the weed? Stephen A voice. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What is actually going on with him that's making him continue to use and continue to thwart these opportunities to play football Or go beyond, why are y'all so invested on him using marijuana and continue to prescribe these painkillers? Or let's go back and let's look at, we talk about race, uh, the opioid epidemic and the crack epidemic. Mm. You know what Mm. I'm saying? Why is it that we have so many program structures, and, and different things to address the opioid epidemic, but when the crack epidemic came out, it was, you know, just say no, or, you're a you're a, you're a thug, or you're a, you're a, you're a user, you're an addict for using crack cocaine, crackhead X, Y, and Z. When that was in the black community, you yeah. feel what I'm saying
1: war on drugs.
2: Yeah, the war on drugs. It was the, it was the war on drugs, and now it's the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, and and, and realistically, it's about money. Because technically, you know, with opioids, you can fight, you fight opioids with, with op- other opioids and crack and cocaine. You really don't have a, another drug to sustain that. But that's here, neither here or there. We're not getting that deep. But yeah, look at the difference. You know, so, I mean, it, it's definitely something to it for sure.
0: That's timely, that, that comparison, because I just watched that crack documentary on Netflix and it just pissed me off. Oh my God, it was like I was, mm. I was you know, born in the late 80s. So Reagan and all that was before my time and like talking yeah. about Contras and Nicaragua and like y'all funding this and oh.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody told me not to watch that because it's triggering. You know how I get. So that was like, I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna watch it on a more calmer time. <laughs>
3: uh, so there's another documentary you could watch called um, Letter to the President. It came out back in 2004. And it, it's 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 rappers talking, you know, bit like you know, um Dead Prez, David Banner, and they go into more of the Contra stuff, a little bit more detail, a little bit more scandal. So, like there was a um, sorry, I, I don't mean to get off topic, but there was a um a writer named Gary Taylor. Um and Who, um, me? not you no. <laughs> I think his name was was Gary something, and and he got blackballed because he was writing about Contras and, you know, Nicaragua and stuff like that to the point where he committed suicide. Mm. So, so, and so, and, and that gets a little more grittier, like, so, but it's from, it's from a, I feel like it's from a hip hop perspective. So it's a little bit more, it's a little easier to watch, you know, but it's still kind of like, you know, like, you know, raises questions. Like I think Snoop's the narrator, you know what I'm saying? But it's a good, it's a good one to watch for sure.
0: I think this came up from you, Will, talking about it wasn't time for Galante West to seek treatment. And knowing that time is one of those barriers, what else are you all seeing in the field as far as obstacles preventing people from seeking help?
1: I'll just go straight off the man. stigma. The stigma is still strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants to be tied to any of us because to admit that you have to see a therapist or a clinician or anybody in our field is to admit that you are "quote unquote" crazy. Mm. That's still to to have anything other than perfect mental health means that there's something wrong with you, and that drives me crazy um, because I think that is the leading factor. That's the, the number one reason, um, particularly on our in our community, but even overall, why nobody wants to be associated with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, it it pushes people away because it would it would mean that they have to admit that they're less than perfect that something is wrong and um i th- i just think people's understanding of mental health has been has been broken up broken for so long like i tell people a lot of times that i don't even use the term mental illness i don't <clears> like the way that sounds i think that everything that everybody has inside of them uh, is closer related to characteristics than mm. what's right versus what's wrong, and there is no line that says if you have these characteristics you're good, but if you have these characteristics you're ill. And the um, mm. Mm. the the analogy I always use, and I think I, I talked to this about Chris when, when I, um, we talked on his show, is that if you were to go into the gym, right, and you saw somebody who could. Get on the treadmill and could run two hours straight without getting tired. They get off the treadmill and then they go and get on the bench and they can't even lift the bar. Would you say that that person is physically ill?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, a lot of people tell me no, no, they're not, they're not physically ill. They just they probably need to work harder on this than they do on that. And I say, well, that's no different than mental health, right? You have to work harder on this than on that, but it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. If we were all born, we're not all born um, 99 Madden players, right? We gotta,
4: mm-hmm, we, gotta, mm-hmm. we
1: gotta work, we gotta work on things. And part of, I think what we do is identify, hey, this is where you need to put more effort towards. Um, it doesn't mean that you're broken. It means that if you wanna be well-rounded, if you wanna be that overall you know, healthy person, this is what you gotta focus on. This is what you have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, and people don't see it that way they don't see it like a spectrum they say that okay well i'm depressed or i'm anxious therefore i'm broken Mm -hmm. and if i have to go see a therapist then that just means game over i'm just one of the broken
3: ones right i could definitely agree with that i remember having an intake with the um young man and he did not want to do therapy because he he said that he he was not crazy. There was nothing wrong with him. So and me and his mom kind of sat there, tried to convince or not convince him, but try to tell him therapy's not always about admitting something's wrong or admitting you know. And, and, and if it is something's going on, then that's that's fine too. So, but so yeah, the stigma definitely, um, lack of information, you know, um, that like you know like not like not not really knowing how to find a therapist right. You know, uh lack of sometimes like lack of um resources, you know what I'm saying? Not saying that, you know, what I'm saying like, you know, like you know, we don't have resources, of course, but but at the same time, like, you know, like sometimes like, you know, the insurance companies be playing games, you know, like so that you, you can only see this person or that person. So those kind of things, like it's kind of like a, you know, like um, you know, like this really bu- bureaucratic barriers that that kind of get on my nerves that I, I don't like seeing. Um, but for me like it's just you know i want to say lack of male practitioners but there's enough of us out here that you could probably find one so i i want to um you know say um stigma really like like i really think stigma really even though like we know right like like me like like us four know mental health is important anyone who kind of like in a professional space knows you know that you know mental health is important but but i feel like you know like I still feel like um it's too much of a process to find a therapist, go to um have a consult um you know, like um an intake and then see a therapist weekly. Like I still feel like that's still a barrier because stigma, you know, like stigma, like we just don't know what to tell a therapist. We don't trust a lot of people, you know, like with the vaccine rollout, there's still some distrust in the medical field, which is which is, which is understandable. So I, I, I get it. So, so like really stigma and just distrust on, on this, you know, you know, like someone working with you, trying to help you out.
2: Yeah. To piggyback off of that, I think, um, you know, stigma again, is still, still rampant, even though we keep talking, we like, we have access and understanding, like, yo, take care of your mental health. There's still stigma around, you know, seeking out a therapist, education, what therapy looks like, when do I need to go to therapy, you know, and resources as well, can I afford therapy, is my insurance going to cover it, you know, and stuff like that, and actually I was on a podcast earlier where they asked, you know, you know, what are the barriers, you know, understanding like, you know, how to, how to access a, a therapist or what that looks like, what that process looks like, or when do you know you need therapy, that was one of the questions, and I said, well, you know, you know, you all, you know, you need therapy whenever you feel like you need to want to work on your healing journey. It doesn't have to be when you're in a crisis or your you, your mental health is diminishing. It could be, you just want to work on being a better version of yourself, whatever that may be. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people think that therapy looks like just, oh, I have to be like down and out in order to to survive in therapy or Maybe it looks like what we see in the movie, somebody come in there and lay on the couch and you just talk to the white guy and he just writes notes and say, you're this, that, and the third. Um, so I think those elements and also the piggyback of what, you know, Will says, um, you know, w- even with the stigma around mental health and mental illness, you know what I'm saying? Seeing the therapist makes means that you're crazy or something's going on with you. That's not the, that's not the case. I say all the time that, and I've always had this thought, if 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 your mental health is suffering, then more than likely it's going to turn into a, a mental illness, right? Or say for example, if you're if your physical health, if you're not doing taking care of yourself physically, then it ultimately may end up in a medical condition. And I use that same analogy for mental health because I often wonder how many people who have been diagnosed with a mental illness have had the signs and symptoms and they was dealing with a lot of stressors, wherever they may be. And it just, it it, it evolved over time due to poor mental health into a mental illness, classification, you know, whatever it may be. And I always talk about mental health as just how you respond and how you deal with day-to-day life stressors. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? And we have stressors as soon as we wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. wherever that's, you know what I'm saying? As soon as our feet hit the floor, it's either work, career, school, kids, family, spouse, uh, finances, you know what I'm saying? Bills X, Y, and Z. So, you know, to, to not look at how environment and the economy plays a role into our mental health and how we move on a day-to-day basis or how we, we respond to stress in our lives. You feel what I'm saying? That is, that's not being taught. That's not being educated because the only thing that's being pushed is anxiety, the depression, you know, and then if we get to the SMI, which is schizophrenia and bipolar, you know, things of that nature, that, that gets pushed because it's a narrative of, you know, this is mental illness and this is mental health. And mental health is mental illness X, Y, and Z. And it's just, it's just very, 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 um, people are not educated enough um, on the differences, what mental health looks like, and how the fact of the matter is that how stress, like, make it so bad, people will, like, say I'm stressed out and then cannot correlate that that correlates to the mental health mm. like if you sit there and talk to them have conversations about stress they'd be like yeah i'm stressed. me i'm going through this i'm going through that going through that and you say yeah that's mental health and it's like no it's not and it's like yes it is not nah, stress no that's your mental health you feel what i'm saying so you know that thing right there man um it, it's it's Education, education is so, so that's one of the biggest barriers to it. And then also, like you said with Chris, we were talking about even in intake and understanding like when guys want to do a consult with me, I've seen a couple of times in the last couple of months, like they don't know what to say. They don't know what to ask. It's my first time doing this, man. I don't even know what to, I'm just going through it. I need to see the therapist. They don't even know how to express what's happening and what's going on, but they know they need a therapist. So yeah yeah
0: so I want you to you all to tell us a story right i um I did a guest lecture at Columbia in the fall of last year. Shout out to the homie Don for putting me on and one of the like the best part of that experience for me there was a black man in the class who reached out to me to to be affirmed right like oh, you, you doing this, like, you Black, you social worker, you, you leading class, like, you having these complex conversations. And it was that moment where, like, I, I feel like he saw me and I saw him. Like, and I really poured into him, like, you know, what I'm doing, you're gonna do times a thousand as soon as you graduate. Like, putting the emphasis on school, like, make sure you finish. But mm-hmm. I'm really curious, what is it like when you have that first session with a Black client, Black man, if, Black woman if necessary when they fully see you and you fully see them
3: man it's uh i mean i don't want to sound like cliche but it's it's kind of like it's kind of beautiful
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know
3: what I'm saying? like it, i mean it feels it feels like you you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing right so like my first my first private practice session i had the person just started crying, like off off the rip, and I'm like, okay, so okay, so we in it now. And and I, I didn't take it as him being so sad that you know that you know that he started crying. It was that it was finally a person who 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 is who is sent to help, and he looks like him, and he can actually just kind of be himself. So you know what I'm saying. So so he just w- was able to just to start l- let it go, start crying. So um, those moments are are really. I mean, I wish I had more of those moments. You know, I mean, working in living in, um, I mean, you know, living in Portland and and having the job that I have, I really don't get that cultural connection like I really want. But but when I do get it, I feel like okay, this is why this is why you're here. You know, what I'm saying you're here to help people feel seen um actually i mean that's why i really I start, like you know i started my brand so i can show social workers that you don't have to conform you know what i'm saying to be a social worker yes school wants you to mm-hmm. do xyz and things like that but you don't have to do anything that's you know um that that you don't want to do you know saying like you're a professional right. just show up you know like it, it, like you know when you show up you know you're a professional right so and like what um you know what Will was saying, you know, um was saying like, you know, um shit, I lost my point. What was I trying to say? But I, I wanna say that, you know, what I'm saying, like, you know, you, you know, William, like you said, like, you know, um, we are social workers and we really like need to be authentic, right? You know, like right. like you know, the the authentic approach works, you know, like 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 the authentic approach does work. And when you're in these black spaces, it's really important that you be authentic, you know what I'm saying, like, and, and be yourself because you know, like you're their only. So, like you have the either the disadvantage or the advantage of being not only the therapist, but you got to advocate for them. You got to advocate for the culture of the program. You gotta, you gotta say things like, "Hey, you know, what I'm saying like maybe this is the is a different approach you can take because you know he's not or he or she is not responding to your approach. So, have you ever considered, you know, you know, trying like this? Because where we from, those kind of things don't work. And and it's always met with some kind of like you know like like hostility or something. But you know you signed up for this. This is your job, and sometimes you got to just go ahead and play hardball. You know.
1: Yeah, so. man. For me, bro, and that 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 authenticity piece has carried me through so so often, and it's so cool when it comes out to somebody who can relate to it. Because um, you know you go into some sessions right now, and you like. I'm good at what I do and we can talk. And then you had that one that like, we can talk, talk. Yeah, yeah. We can can talk, talk. Like we can really get into some some stuff because uh, I mean, they see you as, if you are the therapist going in the session, they already see you as the authority, the professional, the one who's made it, the one who understands everything, the one who has this perfect life. So they don't believe you from the jump. Right? They're already like, okay, I'm, I'm the crazy one. You're the one who's going to teach me how to live right. And everything about your life is right. And I love nothing more than to break that up and tell Yay. people some real stuff about, like, let me tell you what's really going on about me. Okay. Um, and that's what I'm, that's, I think that's the value of being authentic, authentic. You know, I tell every client that I go into session with, the first thing that I say to them is I became a therapist because I hate therapists. And they look at me like, you know, you're not supposed to say that. And I usually say something smart, like, well, you're not supposed to want to kill yourself. So we're both wrong. Um, And then they're like, you know, part of them is like, who do you think you are talking to? But then I'm like, that gives me an opportunity to explain to them if you were somebody who I cared about, which I do, but let's say, let's replace you with a family member. I would not waste my time talking to you about evidence-based practices and theories, I would tell you exactly what's on my mind. And right now, I'm thinking in this moment, if you're seeing me because you have suicidal ideations, I don't want you to fucking die. In those words, I I need you to hear it that way. You need to hear that I care about you. So when I see somebody in there who looks like me, that conversation is already there, and they're not expecting it. They're expecting me to be this guy who just has made it, right? Here's Dr. Will from USC who's done this. And I'm like, man, this, this, this stuff is hard. Right. I am, this, this. You do not get here. Um, it, it's not easy to be here. And every step sucked because you and I have started from the same place. The power is in, in that is that they can see if I want it, I can have that. Mm -hmm. You are no different than me because we both come from places where people like us don't get to this place. And my only purpose in this point, like that's when the difference happens, right? If I have a client who's, who's Caucasian, I can get through a session successfully strictly talking about what they want to talk about, what they need help on, what things they can do to improve their mental health. But admittedly, so when I get somebody like me, the conversation is more about you aren't that far off. You know, these are our shared experiences. This is how we live. And there is a way to get to where you want to get to. And these are the things that we need to focus on. Um, That's what I mean by talk, talk. Like there's this underlying stuff, like I can give you a little bit more. And it's not purposely trying to take away from one community and give more to another uh, community. Yes, it is. But it's not that. Um, but (laughs) it's people need to, people need to see and recognize, um, that they aren't as far off as they think that they are. Um, so that opportunity, whenever I can get a client that, that looks like me, is really important because I don't have to, I don't have to follow the script. I can just tell them about my life. And there's a lot of things that we already relate on. Just by being in the same room together, just by having to live life in the same skin.
2: Yeah, I mean, shoot, I don't know how to follow up all of that, y'all. Jesus, um, you know, you got me in
1: my zone, man. I I see, man, (laughs) I see. Well,
2: I see, I see why this guy's so great, man. I see it, man. And Chris, man, um, (laughs) you know, to me, to me. Um, in my brief amount of time doing it, but also in my experience, like I said, I've been here in the field of 10 years and doing crisis therapy and some some other stuff, psychiatric and patient, you know, and, you know, TDT work and being able to work with black men is always a breath of fresh air. Brother walk in there and they see me and they was like, oh, you in here, you do this? Oh, snap, let me, you know, come up in here. And then they just, they just release, right? All the tension, all the stress just releases. So, you know, of course they come in initially It's a little apprehensive at first, you know, and then we we break, once we break through that barrier, it's, 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 it's golden, right? And then they don't stop talking. Like they just relinquish off every single thing or like on my, one of my other sessions, I was trying to, you know, I tried to start with some deep breathing and mindfulness and then he just jumped right in, boom. So let me tell you what's going on. Like the trust and, and that value is already there. He sees that and he's he's comfortable with that, right? But to me, it's spiritual. It's spiritual when we get to that point of, you know, when we see each other. And 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 it's it's almost to the point of like, like you said, well, none of this, this is not evidence-based textbook, social work type clinical therapy. No, this is just like some stuff from the ancestors as us as a black community, man to man, we gonna hash it out. I'm just the guy to help you go through that. Mm. You feel what I'm saying? And it's spiritual to me. I, I, I've had it cup, happen happen a couple times in session um, and I know we're not supposed to blend spirituality in, into clinical practice, XYZ but when I tell you that when black men get together, either individually or a group setting and work together to heal, it is spiritual in nature. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, i am you know, I'm. and please excuse me if you have different religions or different uh, or believe in spirituality or not I, I'm not trying to offend anybody here about that But I know for me When I'm in it like that Or I'm, and where we both see each other It's spiritual It's spiritual for me You feel what I'm saying Because now we are operating in this space Together To work through the collective traumas That we've done We've we've dealt with And could work through the collective traumas that That society has dealt us and it's only stuff that we can work through together. Nobody else can do that. Ain't no white therapist out there. I love, I got white colleagues that I'll kick it with. I'm cool with. I love, you know what I'm saying? You cannot connect in that level. So I'll just leave it at that.
1: Have you ever had one of them sessions where when, when you hit that spot, it's almost like 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 a like a pl- basketball player getting hot and you're just in the zone. You can't miss. Pete yeah. check. Where yeah you don't even know when i different times bro when i start talking and i don't even know where i'm going with it
4: yeah yeah
2: but
1: by the time i'm done it was exactly what needed to be said and that didn't come from me like No, nah. at this point we're filters
2: right right, right. you know that, it's,
1: it's coming from somewhere else to, it's because and my my role is to get it to this individual to
2: get it to this individual and you're absolutely right will like there have been plenty of times, even outside the practice, even in the Goodfellas project where you just feel it. I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even have this thought in my mind, but it was being said. And then it got through to somebody and somebody was like, yo, that was I needed that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so even me talking about it now, it makes me feel feel a different way.
1: Yeah, that's been, a, I've, I've been like, I I, I should have wrote that down because that's good. Like, yeah, I don't even know, like I, I need to quote myself because I don't yeah. know where that came from.
2: Yeah, yeah, man, I, it's it's spiritual to me. To me, I think this work is spiritual. I had somebody tell me that it's it's it's, it's 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 spiritual work in and of that stuff. You feel what I'm saying, I, whatever you may believe in, it's it's because we're working to help people heal. That's yeah. that's that's the goal. You know what I'm saying? So that comes into play.
1: I want to kick a question to James real quick. And I know I ain't, I ain't the co-host by any means, but bro, we got, uh, we got shared experience. Because as I started talking, this kind of brought something up with me. Um, being the black guy at USC. Being the black guy um, where you have this community of, you know, this cadre of mil- mental health professionals. And then if anything, even remotely close comes up the race spotlight's on you. Mm-hmm. And you're the spokesperson.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> now, can can you speak on that for a minute? Man,
0: might need a, a whole episode on that. <laughs> yes sir. <laughs> I think for me, I have I have grown a lot over the past few years. I mean comparing my graduate master's experience to where I am now with this doctoral experience. As a master's student, I you know, I respond, I answer questions, you know, like, yeah, this is what my experience was as a doctoral student. Hey, Google work, fam. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do your work first. That that's that's what's important to me. Because it's one thing to be ignorant by choice, and it's another thing just be ignorant because you just didn't know. Right. So I I much rather someone, I mean, I I can give plenty of examples, even from USC, of like, James what is it like growing up in the in the urban setting like in the inner city I'm like first of all I've never told you where I grew up so there's there's assumptions I mean sure I did grow up in the inner city but I didn't expose that information to you and there's there's plenty of times where I feel like it's it lingers right like people ask you those questions and it, it hangs on it that to me is what impacts mental health right like I have the mm-hmm. jabs at me or at my character, or at my experience or my race. And it's like, well, is there something wrong with me? Like, mm-hmm. because I'm having this experience. And I would say over the past over the past year, really, I mean, prior to starting Equity Matters, I felt like I was just on this ongoing journey of, no, this, this is your space. This is how you move. You don't have to move like them. Like to what Trey was saying, it's spiritual, the ancestors is telling me like, no, nah, don't don't make that move. Don't mm-hmm. turn left like them. Because where they going, you don't wanna go. We creating a path for you over here. And that's that's yeah. just the path that I follow thus far. I mean, it goes back to school too, it's like, I'm not about to talk to y'all about this racist mess right now. Right. Like Google yeah. is a hell of a tool. I mean, when yeah. I was in school, you know, you go, ask Jeeves, you know, Yahoo. <laughs> Stop on that Google, yeah. it don't work. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. I asked you that because, um, you know, you, uh, first of all, uh, shout out to JB, man. That that man's about to be a doctor.
4: Yes, yeah, um, sir. That's a big
1: deal. That's a big deal. Um, but the, and these would be conversations I think you and I will get to have um, going forward um, post doctorate. But I, I entered a, I don't want to call it a depression, but like a realization, like immediately after I graduated. And What I thought was, okay, this is the mountaintop. This is the pinnacle. You have finished the last level of school. And the lights are going to, the heavens are going to open up and there's going to be this beam of light. They'd be like, okay, now you have all the knowledge. Um, You've made it. And then I started working and I realized that I have not said anything different that I would be saying if I was only educated with a high school diploma. I'm still (laughs) speaking from experience. I'm still speaking from that ancestral thing that that Trey's talking about. I'm still saying the same stuff. So the depression came when I was like, damn, I just spent all this money and all this time just for an institution to tell me that I was good at being who I was when I came into this thing. And that hit hard. I was like, yo, I've really wasted a lot of time. And I had, you know, you have to reframe what it's for. You, you need that to navigate the way you wanna navigate in this system. So, um, you know, I, I figured that out, but that piece of it is something I think is, you know, we, we've been told for so long that we are less than and that we don't belong. And that, you know, we're, you know we are who we are in our place in America, that when we accomplish something, The first thing that we want to do is celebrate that accomplishment in reality is an institution that's allowing us to participate in something that they have, Mm -hmm. right? So now, okay, congratulations, Dr. Coombs, you're a doctor because we say so. And then I'm like, but I'm good at being a doctor because of my Blackness, Mm -hmm. because of my upbringing, because of my experiences. And because of whatever magic is working in me that allows me to bring this together and articulate it to people in front of me. Um, and, and that's, you know, and that's a piece for you because, um, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's, there's a process that you kind of go through once you get there um, and defining what that doctor is going to mean to you. Um, but I think for all of us being in this place, that's kind of what they see when you have somebody walk into your office and they see you as a therapist they assume that that beam of light hit you and gave you all the knowledge.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And they're already intimidated and they're already scared. So when you see somebody and you can break it down and say, listen, let's talk, talk. Let me tell you what's really happening here.
2: Um, that's so powerful. Yeah, I think that even with, with the license, like I, I for the last yeah. year and a half trying to get this license and failed twice. And I was like, man, when I get this license, everything's going to boom. Right? And then I got it and it's like, oh, okay, I was, I just got more responsibilities and letters behind my name and mm-hmm. I'm still talking the same type of talk I was talking when I was on MSW, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's just wild because it's like, I, I really put in a lot of time and effort and stress over something that was just kind of a formality.
1: I think that we're conditioned, real. We're conditioned to think they were less than until we reach that level. And then when we reach that level, some people just check out. Some people yeah. just say, "Okay, now I'm an LCSW. Now I'm a DSW. Now I'm this, and that's it." And they, they lose themselves in that thing. Mm-hmm. And some people, uh, you know, like the brothers on this panel, go back and say, "Shit, I was already that. Like I was, yeah. I, was I was already fly. Like, I, I, you know, these these letters are cool and everything." But these are not what's gonna make me good at what
2: I do. Right. These letters for y'all. This ain't for. This yeah. ain't for me. Yeah. These letters for y'all. <laughs> if anything,
1: this is. These are fewer questions that I have to answer about myself. Because, because you see the right.
4: Criteria.
1: You so see the credit. Oh, bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we skipped
4: that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: It's really just rules to the game. You know, like like I kind of I kind of like I knew when I got gotten the grad school, like this ain't really this really ain't gonna help my like you know my understanding of society or anything like that. Um, well, I mean not gonna lie grad school did help me see things a little bit different but not not really like not enough to impact how i deliver services i just kind of knew that th- this was something i had to do because you know the, the state board said i had to do it you know so like right. so 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 like you know like you you are right we, we are conditioned just to kind of go through these processes just because you know like you you, you know the game is rigged you know what i'm saying like like if it was based on just skill, I could have been a therapist. You know, I was doing therapy actually, you know, when I was a, you know, like a bachelor's degree person, I, I was, I was working with kids right. doing therapy, doing notes, but I couldn't build because I wasn't a, I wasn't a therapist. So it's just rules to the game, you know, and that, I think that frustrates me more than anything because so like I can definitely understand uh Will what you were talking about um you know like you know the depression came from thinking about all the time you spent trying to get this right and I feel like I went through that too a few years ago you know like because every so often you know what I'm saying like you know like a person like myself I do the income-based payment for my student loan every so often I get the real bill and I'm like, shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, all right. So. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and then that puts me in a, in a mood where like, well, man, I, like, you know, like, I mean, and so like, but like, so like f- for that, like month of me trying to like get my documents together and turn it in so I can get my payment back to where it needs to be. I'm like super stressed and I'm super like depressed. I'm super like, I, I got to feel like somebody like pulled the wool over my eyes and like got over on me, you know what I'm saying? But, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I I really don't think about, you know, you're saying, like, you know, all, all that money that I owe. But, you know, the only thing that really keeps me, like, you know, um, worried is, like, well, you know, technically, if they want to say, hey, you owe this right now, then they can do it, you know. But I know they're, they're a little more easier than that. But, you know, but, yeah, so, like, yeah, you know, like, so that month, which is coming up, like, like, right now, you know, I see that real bill. And that's when I'm like, all right, this was, was it a, was it a right choice? Was it a, you know, all those things. But, you know, my homegirl told me that, you know, she, she, she said that she doesn't feel bad for taking student loans, no matter how much they cost, because this is her way out. So, so like, you're not going to shame me for my only way out. So, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't, i owe, $300,000 whatever. Come get it. You, if you really want it, you know what I'm saying? But what you're not going to do is shame me for taking the best route that I could have took. Right. You can't come so. take
2: this license or, or this license or you can take the license if you wanted to, but you can't take this degree. I tell yeah. you that once. You can't take Figure that. Out. Right. You can't take that impact. Yeah. You can't long, take that
3: impact. Man. You can't. Yeah. It's too late. <laughs>
2: no, nah, it's too late for now.
3: It's too late for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, So, yeah, I definitely can feel like just... You know, this is just protocol.
0: I'm honestly feeling the same way. I know we're going all through different kinds of tangents, but that's cool. (laughs) Um, I'm feeling the same way about continuing education. You know, like the easiest way is to be attached to a university to offer CEUs. Mm -hmm. But what if I don't want a university or academic institution to take money off the top of my work? What if I just wanna do it myself? Oh, well, you need to pay these fees to these various licensing boards. Well, why do I have to pay you and you are not doing none of the work? And right. so you start yeah. to see how these institutions interact together. And for folks who don't have the finesse like us to be able to navigate through those spaces, we're losing out on a lot of experience and expertise for people who could talk about culturally competent care and what it means to maneuver through those modalities with different groups and populations because we have these obstacles that are built into our systems. Yeah. I mean, licensure
2: is yeah. just one of them. Lord have mercy, yes it is. Yeah,
1: you think you think you got something, but you really don't, right? Okay, like, All I gotta do is get this master's degree. That's major. Okay, you got your master's degree, but that means nothing until.
2: Until. Until mm-hmm. you get this. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what, got, you know what? Uh, maybe I shouldn't, because it feels like now I'm just bashing my alma mater and that's not the case. <laughs> And plus, I don't want to make James hate himself for, for going to SC. But there was a moment that happened, bro, back when we, could still, ha- we still had to go places and we couldn't do everything virtual. Um, we, we went to a residency. And this is where you realize, like, who's really paying attention to what's going on in this residency or in this program? And social work is weird like that because social work is always, the, the mantra is to look out for the little guy. So they're going to bring people in that support looking out for the little guy. So we're sitting here in this, you know, we're in Los Angeles, which is not cheap. And we have to pay to be here, which is not cheap. And you got all these professionals who've been in this. I had no business in the DSW program, but I was straight out of my MSW program. So I I jumped the whole system and then was like, I'm just going to go until I fail, uh, which is going to happen. And luckily it didn't. But so, my cohort was a bunch of people who are like directors and stuff. And here's me, this unlicensed clinician with nothing, trying to become a doctor. Um, so, I was broke, right? I, I can't afford to be in LA chilling for, for a week um, just because I just got money like that. Right. So, I'm going into this thing pinching pennies. Um, I had this accident that luckily, you know, I had military experience and I ended up staying. I didn't stay at the hotel. Uh, which they offered for a discount of like $200 a night or some crazy number like that. Wow. For a discount, bro. For a discount. That's crazy. Um, I stayed 40 minutes away at the, at the air force base cause I could stay there for a week. Would it cost to stay in LA for a day? Um, but the point of that is I'm barely making it through this residency. Uh, and they bring in a guest speaker about this guy who was just like, you know, I, I didn't have a college degree. I just told the system no. You know, Caucasian guy. I didn't. Ex- I didn't take no for an answer. Was his. Was his. Uh, his message. <laughs> uh, you know, I went in and we just said the people were telling us no, you can't do this, and I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And then he went and I'm going to do a TED talk. And and it was something that he was he was involved in TED talk now. He's like really like one of the higher executives with TED talk now. But his story was the reason he got there is because he didn't take no for an answer. And everybody, I'm looking around and everybody in my class is nodding their head like, this is a great story. This is really you know, wonderful. You, know, you gotta be resilient. And I'm sitting there like, you mean to tell me I'm going to a school that I can't afford to be at. Paying money to be at this residency, which is gonna have me at zero in my bank account by the time I'm done.
4: Mm-hmm
1: because I think this is the way that I'm supposed to do it. And you're gonna, be, you're gonna bring in a guest speaker that tells me that all you have to do is not take no, take no for an answer. And, and school's not important. I didn't have a degree. That's not. Why would you do that? I need, <laughs> like in this moment, I need you to tell me that having my broke ass at this residency is the most important thing you can do. Reassure me that I'm making the right decision and it was in that moment that i realized exactly what chris said like it's a game mm-hmm. the game is rigged and if <laughs> if it is it, rigged in a way that we're not supposed to pay attention to those details but when you pick up on those little minor things like like you really paid to have this guy come in here and tell us how he made it without school while we're at school
2: <laughs> so that's so toned up, bro like they I would have dropped out right then. Like you know what? forget sense. it. Forget it.
1: I was the one sitting there, like, what am I doing? Because tonight I'm eating ramen to be here. And like, for real?
2: Yeah. And that's that's tough. That hurt, bro. <laughs> see, 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 resiliency for for, for white Americans is pulling stuff up out of bootstraps making things work out of nothing and working those two jobs and providing food on the table, right? But resiliency for Black folks is surviving. Literally waking up every day and dodging, I'm going to, I made it home tonight, one more night. Let me do it again. And when you tell that story, that story, they can't even fathom that. Mm -hmm. They can't even comprehend the fact that We have to wake up every day, knowing, thanking God, I just made it alive. I I open my eyes again. I ain't get killed. They ain't do this to me. Survival is
1: the baseline.
2: Survival is the baseline. Just to be present. That's not that for now. You know?
0: So I, I love that, right? I got an episode from January that talks about resilience and how we shouldn't have to rely on our resilience in that way. I mean, we've been resilient since we got here, but at the end of the day, where has that taken us? I mean, it's, it's taken us much further, but the opportunities are not the same. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to I want to tie these things back to mental health. Where does resiliency fit in the scope or the spectrum of healing?
3: Um, if I may jump in, it can it can be both helpful and harmful. So a person like me, right? I grew up crack houses in the hood, um, you know, foster care, parents with the jail, all that stuff. Right. But I'm, but if I were to show up somewhere, you wouldn't think that I was a byproduct of that. So I feel like I wear my trauma and resilience as like a badge, which I shouldn't, but I wear it. Well, I'm trying not to wear it like that, but I wear it to prove like that I'm tough. You know what I'm saying, like you know that 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 I'm a part of the culture because you know I mean we have colorism, we have like kind of uh, you know um culturism, I'll say because some people grew up in the suburbs, and we' looking at them like what like you you know what I'm saying, some people get called white boys, some people whatever, right? So I feel like i I prevented myself from healing because I wore my resilience and I, and I wore like I'm tough enough to handle anything but if I would have wore like I'm tough enough to heal and heal properly I probably could have saved myself some strife mm-hmm. you know um like in my early 20s you know like actually reaching out to people not putting on a front that I was tougher than I than I was you know but you know I thought that was healing you know, I thought that, you know, when somebody ever tried to play me like, you know, oh, you you don't know what, you know, what it's like to do this. And I, I lay down all my stuff and then they check my file and see that I'm telling the truth. And it's like, oh, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? You do have this. You do have that. So, but, so I feel like th- there's, there's two ways and I definitely didn't play it the right way, but, you know, I feel like um, healing and resilience, having the resilience to say that are, are just having like the, you know, the, um, you know, confidence to say that, you know, I can heal and be okay. Right. Because sometimes you go to therapy and you break down and cry and you like kind of regress, right. You know, like you, you go and you, you have all these thoughts happen and you know, they, you know, all these memories come up and then you regress for a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you know, but then I I feel like, you know, having, having, you, you know, just the just the guts to say, you know what, I went through this and I'll be all right. You know, I'm gonna go through this process, and I'm and I'm gonna be fine. You know, so yeah. So All I, right. so like you know, to answer your question, I feel like there's two sides of it. You know, and there's a wrong, there's a side to kind of shut you off. Like I'm tough. I don't need nothing. I made it. You see me? You see me right here? You know, what I'm saying like, see what I've been through. You know what I've been through? You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting here looking at you. So so I made it. But then there's there's time where it's like, you know what? I've been through a lot, and I need to heal, and I'll be okay when the healing process is over.
4: Uh huh. Mhm mhm
2: I think with, with that you know the glorification of this sometimes the glorification of the struggle and the glorification of you know what I'm saying I got to struggle in order to 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 make it right in order to to get be successful instead of understanding the times where you need to sacrifice and what sacrifice looks like versus struggling you feel what I'm saying and, you know, I've talked about it before, we glorify struggling. Like, if you don't, if you ain't, if you haven't struggled or if you ain't been from this era, or whatever, dah, 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 and got out the mud, then you, you're you not really successful. And that, I think that mindset tends to, is a kind of a byproduct of, byproduct of resiliency, because you always hear the narratives of, you know what I'm saying, I got out the mud, I don't need nobody, I did it myself, you know. I was in poverty, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, X, Y, and Z, we had to do this, that, and the third, and such glorification of that. And it's almost to the point now where some kids really want to, um, some kids or some young adults want to actually put themselves in that position <laughs> to struggle, just that, just, to, just to say that they got it out the mud, right? Or went through that in order to get to the place where they are now. And so I think that's where you see the byproduct of resiliency. Um, that has happened in the past couple of years in our generation. But, um, you know, on a like I said, Chris says, best, two sides, right? I like to see resiliency from from Black folks in regards that we got over, you know, and we got over and although we we've got some stuff we need to work on, some baggage that we're carrying and some loads that we need to lighten, you know what I'm saying? We still get up every morning and fight every single day. We could have been gave up, you know what I'm saying? We could have been through an a tab. We could have been revolted. You know we could have been got active you know what i'm saying but the fact of the matter is that we, we 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 set ourselves on our mindsets on you know different things and more positive outlets to get to that next level right and you know of course with that resiliency you know factor that does play a role in how our mental health is perceived or what we perceive to work on or how we normalize trauma stress and grief next line x line z to kind of perpetuate that whole cycle, right? And so like, again, we have work to do, work to heal, but I always love to just focus on the strength-based perspective of the resiliency of black people and hone in on that from a positive perspective. And then also, and, and use that as a tool to, to help people heal with their mental health.
1: But you, hit on a, uh, you hit on something that, that kind of triggered a conversation that I had with, um, with my son um, about the whole, sometimes we have to create the struggle. Like, we got to create that. Like, we, we got to have that badge, like Chris says, that, yeah. that, that proves that we're real. Um, me and my son, we were watching The Football Life, and they were doing, like, The Football Life marathon, so everybody story after story. I think one of the ones, we were, we were on LaDainian Tomlinson, and he was talking about how, um, you know, how they've had to, they come from, you know, I, it was seven of us living in the bedroom and we didn't have running water and all of this, all all of their stories started in this same kind of place. Right. And at the time my son was playing football. You know, he was really interested in becoming an NFL football player. And, um, and I, I looked at him, I was like, damn Malik, like, they're gonna do a football life about you, and it's gonna be boring, like you're gonna be like, you know I, as I was a kid, we, you know I had my own room and I was taken care of, and we yeah, had food. And nobody's gonna to want to see your football life, yeah. um, and he was like he felt some kind of way about it, and oh,
4: wow.
1: I, I think yeah, he did, he was like, um, oh yeah i've I've struggled and like, no, you haven't son, you haven't, but <laughs> we haven't i i think we 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 get in this kind of this this paradigm where. We all want that struggle, but we also all want to come out of that struggle to give our kids the things that they didn't have. Yeah. And when we successfully do that, the kids feel like they are robbed of that struggle. Mm. So instead of us elevating the definition of what our struggles are, we revert back to I got to find something that sounds like that struggle because Mm -hmm. he is now going through there are different challenges that he has that I didn't have. What I wanted to do was get us out of Baltimore where he wouldn't get shot every day, have a a risk of getting killed. Right. Um, But we're learning in real time that living in Southern California has a whole different set of circumstances. But the Mm -hmm. fact fact that he's Black, those circumstances will always find him. Mm -hmm. They just don't look like the ones that I had. So I grew up around a bunch of Black people and a lot of them Black people probably would have robbed or killed me. Mm -hmm. And you think the solution is to get out of that. So now we're here and we're the minority. And the problem is a bunch of people who think that they can just pop off the N word, Uh think that they can just treat you a certain way because they're the majority and you're the outsider. And what I think we failed to do is instead of now attacking this new set of problems, like, hey, we don't got to do the struggle thing anymore, let's address these new problems so that your kid will be ready for the next set of problems. We, at that point, double back around to, well, I gotta create this struggle to protect myself. I gotta be that person that Chris was talking about. I gotta have a resume of, this is how you're not gonna check me because of what I've been through. Right. I think that has a lot of effect on why we continue in this cycle of where we are. Um, And there's a lot of other factors too. But uh, that conversation, was really impactful for me because I was just joking, telling them, hey man, you know, you were taken care of. You had toaster strudels and all of that kind of stuff. Like no your 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 football story is gonna be like four minutes long and people are gonna be like, <laughs> this is dumb. Um but why do we gotta why do we gotta uh glorify struggle is kind of yeah. Why do why are we so comfortable with glorifying struggle? Mm-hmm.
0: So as we get ready to wrap up, I've got got one more question and I'll, I'll challenge you all to, to think quickly about it because it's of course, it's a difficult, heavy lift, but in your role, I mean, in, define role how you like as a black social work professional, how can we break the stigma and change attitudes about mental health and therapy?
3: So um, it was easier for me when I worked in the juvenile setting because I worked with a whole bunch of teenagers and, and um um uh young adults in their early 20s and i had the undivided attention so like i was able to kind of sit them down and say hey you know these conversations are 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 valuable right it's important to kind of say how you feel it's important to squash beef without fighting it's important to you know um it's important to be emotionally intelligent it's important to you know kind of like value yourself and stick up for yourself Right, um, I find it harder with people my age to kind of break that stigma because they're set in their ways, and um, you know, and I feel like there's just, there was so much misinformation about stuff, and we're so tough, right? Like you know, like Black millennials, like we're just tough. We're just we we want to be tough, like that. Like we still come from that era where it's tough or nothing. Like if you ain't tough, you ain't worth a damn. You know what I'm saying, you might as well go, you know, and just does not even exist, right? You know what I'm saying? So so I feel like, um so like that's why I'm hesitant about like having a group of men that I know are front where I'm from speak, like like get together and speak about issues that that, you know, like like I would have to really control that conversation. I wouldn't want to open forum because I know that it was it would really like go it could go left, so like, and and not that, not, you know, not that it's, it it just is what it is. So I feel like uh, my mission really, if I keep showing up and and I keep chipping away, you know, then I might be able to kind of make a ripple effect. But I do find it difficult, you know what I'm saying? Um, At least around the circle that I know to kind of have those conversations. But I do see the work that I do, um, you know, just kind of like, you you know, on the internet space, It's very valuable, so I keep showing up. I keep posting. I keep podcasting, even though I'm supposed to be done. Um, Ah, Nope, nope. But but uh, but but I do feel like you know I found a new mission, so you know it's time to kind of you know have that message out there. But um, you know I feel like I if, if I keep showing up and saying certain things not really running away from the smoke, you know, because some people, you know, sometimes my friends, you know, have questions like, well, you know, what does that mean? And I got to kind of, you know, explain myself and maybe have a different stance on things that I had when I was 20. So, right. and, that's, and that's still a tough thing for me because I, I don't want, you know, any kind of confrontation, you know, but, but, you know, um, yeah. So I feel like I just keep showing up. I keep doing my thing. I keep being authentic. You know, um, I feel like eventually we'll break the wall. Right.
2: Absolutely, man. I mean, for me, um, I've been drilling people over the head about this mental health thing since like 2012, 2013, right? You know what I'm saying? So even when I was in grad school and working in psych inpatient, I I saw the the, the issues and I saw the education that wasn't there for us as a people, and so I decided to to to, to tackle that and I've been tackling that for the past couple of years and continue to do that. Whether it's through my book that I wrote where I felt like there wasn't enough literature out there on mental health in the black community, Whether it's me doing sessions at, at churches, um, talking about mental health and how generational trauma has affected us or whether I'm talking about like I've, I've made shirts over the past couple couple of years to talk about, to highlight mental health in the black community. And my whole brand has been based on mental health in the black community. And in that, you know what I'm saying, that's me just showing up, like Chris said, like just continuing to show up, to show up, influencing my friends and my family. So then they start to talk about it. And then they start to use you good, fam, or you good, bro, you good, sis, you know what I'm saying? And, and expanding those concepts, right? And then to the point where, you know, they, that they'll tell me if my, if my mental is off, you feel what I'm saying? So affecting and influencing those around me to take that out with other folks as well, to influence those those peers and stuff like that to continue to show up. And and for me, it's also de, you know, kind of destigmatizing the role of a so, as a social worker. You know what I'm saying? I say it on record. This will be the first time I say it on record. I feel like I'm the AI of this social work game. You feel what I'm saying? The Alan Iverson <laughs> of this social work thing. All right. So that with that being said, I'm so going I'm to be by we talking about practice, be not a game, but we talking about practice. Um <laughs> Shout out to AI, man. That's my guy, man. But, um, and he's from Virginia. But at the same time, like, being my authentic self, as in of of talking about me going to therapy, being open and honest about the things that I've dealt with uh, from a mental health perspective. Like, it took me a couple of years to understand that, yeah, hey, you may have not been in poverty and struggling and X, Y, and Z, but you had your share of issues that you faced during, you know what I'm saying, during growing up. Whether it was like you know what I'm saying grief and loss of my grandparents, seeing my my mom you know care for my grandparents, seeing my uncle God bless his soul he just passed away last year and in, in in jail and, and and being part of the dope game and stuff like that you know and and seeing witnessing my 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 parents divorce you know all those different things or or having the the talk of telling my dad like you only showed two two different sides of yourself you only showed happiness and anger and then that 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 kind of correlated and changed into me as how i express myself from an emotional standpoint in my marriage or how i express myself um to my daughter as a father you know i'm saying like all of those things that i went through you know i'm saying is mental health related and that help can help even you know men and women you know in those in those aspects where how whatever however they can relate to and on that in in that in those structures so me just continuing to build this brand and be my authentic self like chris and, and and dr will says being my authentic self in these spaces in these white spaces that we occupy is 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 what i believe is going to help knock down those barriers knock down those stigmas to the point that everybody can at least look and say, you know what I'm saying? I need to go take care of my mental health because, you know, Trey said or, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. Nah. Don't do not take my words that crazy and just say, well, Trey said, it, then not. Nah. But, you know, at least I can help influence somebody to take a look at their mental health from some type of lens or take a look at their stress levels, some type of lens. Take a look at how they're feeling today with some type of lens. Take a look at how how, you know, how present they are. With some type of lens, man. So I, that's that's I, that's what I I think I, I bring to the table with that, and I'm really confident within within that.
1: Yeah. Shout out Ellen Arvison. um Shout out Hampton, Virginia.
2: Um, shout out AIV. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um I think autent- authenticity breaks the mold, man. Authenticity will break the mold, and I think that's the most important thing that we can do. Um, I've, I've, I've built an entire life brand, what have you, on just me. I feel like if if I'm going to fail, I want to fail being real. Um, I don't want to fail trying to recreate a system that's already been duplicated over and over and over again. And so many of us, we get through this process and then we become the therapist. And by then, we are convinced that we have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And then what you have is an entire profession of people all saying the same exact thing. Um, But the one who stands out is that one who's willing to be different. And and I've had the same struggle with myself where, you know, you can't, like, why can't I do this? Like, why can't I get on Twitter and in the morning, I'm talking about mental health and in the evening, I'm trying to tell you about the music I want to do. Like, like these are all the things that encompass who I am. And the more that I rely on that, the less that it's gonna be able to be recreated and duplicated. And what happens in that process is that there are gonna be people who are like, I'm not feeling this. I don't want that guy. That's not a therapist for me. But the ones who stay are the ones who are gonna have that connection with me. Those are gonna be my people. And um, you know, the, the goal is not to meet, make myself compatible for everyone. The goal is to be me and give you the opportunity to decide if this fits you or if there's something else, which is totally fine. Um, but the model is going to be based totally on me. So we break that stigma by showing them something different.
4: Mm-hmm. This
1: dude will, will get in your office, probably cuss more than you, uh, will tell you all, will talk to you about Jordans and, and, and Jay-Z and by the end of the day, you're going to feel better. And if you don't, there is millions of other therapists you can talk to but if you do me and you're going to work we'll do some good work together
4: uh-huh.
1: uh, and just having people giving people that option and knowing that we're out here i think is is invaluable
3: right um, um so just a sidebar um that clubhouse room i was in yesterday the professionals and the advocates the um so the only thing i didn't get is they made it seem like professionals can't be like real and authentic Mm -hmm. supportive like they made it seem like professionals were just kind of like stale ass people that follow the rules and and not you know and, and not and not say things like hey i hear you you know like it's just kind of like you know only advocates have the capacity to you know to reach out and be supportive in the the mental health space and I just kind of thought I was kind of silly but anyway
2: (laughs) yeah I think but even with that though I'm at the same time me destigmatizing social work and what a social worker looks like right I'm also up I'm trying to uproot this the actual system of social work like changing the narrative of what social work does and looks like so I could still be professional but still be relatable. You feel what I'm saying? And you know if you with me, you with me, you not, you don't. If I, you don't if you don't rock with me, cool. But the, who's to say who's to say this is professional?
4: Yeah.
2: Who's to say this is professional? the, the, the white people that wrote those those tests and those books and those 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 textbooks? Mm-hmm. What do they know about the culture? You feel what I'm saying? And I only think the way the only way the culture is going to heal is that we be our authentic selves. In that right mm-hmm. and of course you have your ethical guidelines and stuff like that but i even question the role of boundaries and clinical boundaries because we make therapy seem like it's only it's a secret secret mission that you cannot <laughs> you get you could do it. you got to keep it over there you feel what i'm saying yeah. and, and, and it's bound by this it's bound by that and you can't have these different boundaries and you know, and these different interactions with people, but people want to feel relational. So you put up that, that clinical boundary or that, that clinical boundary that you have, albeit it is great to have those boundaries. Right. But if I, if I see you in the store and I don't speak and I don't, you're one of my clients and I can't say hi, I have to let you interact with me first before <laughs> I respond back. That's not, yeah. that's not relational. That that I mean, you would speak to your doctor if you saw your doctor in, a, in Walmart. Yeah,
1: that's real. You
2: know what I'm saying? That, that right there, those small little nuances deteriorates and continues to perpetuate the stigma in, 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 in mental health. And I, I don't think the profession sees that. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying we can't keep this stuff HIPAA and, and privacy related, but there's whole campaigns out there on breast cancer, Right. Breast cancer is a is a is a million dollar business at this point. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's really something that people like to get cancer diagnosis, keep private.
1: The system makes us feel bad about that too, bro, because like yeah. it's happened to me. It's happened to me where I've seen somebody and you know, like, so, so got it. You're not going to be like, hey, Jake, what's your, what's up with your schizophrenia? Like while we're in the middle <laughs> right. of Yeah, like, right in the middle of yeah. yeah. <laughs> But like, I'll be damned if I'm not gonna be like, "What's up, dude?" Like, I'm not gonna pretend like I don't know who you are. Like, "What's up, man?" Hey, this is my wife. This is like, I'm a person. I'm a person. Yes. And I and this is a person that I know. I should be able to say hello to this person. Right. And and those guidelines that you talk about, Trey, puts us in that spot where we're like, "Oh, I gotta. Oh, I can't. I gotta Uh, go down this
2: aisle." You know what I'm saying? Let me not get out the car. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna see my stuff. But it's like. But at the same time, you have to be an open enough to be able to foster the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what,
1: what, the, what, the, what the problem comes out of that. And, and I know JB J wants to wrap us up, but like, I think the damage is when people see that, and if you're hundred percent open in session, and then they see you out of session, and then you're acting like this phony persona mm-hmm.
2: that ruins
1: all of the credibility that you built. Yeah. Because now they're like none of that was real. All of that was an act.
2: Yeah. 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 And that's the going back to Chris point, I think, or one of y'all points, y'all said great, great points about us being authentic and, and still like, you know, not just being these stuck up professionals. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is, you know, we, we had yeah, we have personas and we have these professional boundaries. Of course, I get it. But I like sneakers. And I like to talk NBA and I like cars too. Like, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband, you know, X, Y, and Z. I like I like those things. I like Jay-Z. You feel what I'm saying? Like, right. it- it's, I, I live, a de- I- I'm I'm a therapist here, but I'm also Trey over here. Yeah. You know, and, and some people want a part of Trey, but they want to do the therapy with Trey. So I got to switch it. But at the same time, I'm still not going to be, I'm you still going to see who I am as a person, right? And as a human being. Like the profession is second, second, third. Profession comes third and fourth to everything else that I am. I'm a black man first. I'm a Christian first, I'm a black man second. I'm a I'm a I'm a husband and I'm a father. Then I'm a therapist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that happens to do therapy.
2: That happens to do. A social worker actually social worker first that happens to do therapy. <laughs> you know. I feel like it's a missed opportunity, right? When
0: you see someone that you've established a rapport with and you have to ignore them, right? Just this whole fact that, I know you you described it as like closed off, but what if that's the opportunity to actually see them, right? Like you see them out in their environment, you're not tucked away on a telehealth call, you're not in session, like you see them in the world and now you ignore them. What What does that say? You know, that, that's crazy to me, but I, I'm not, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This, this has been liberating for me, right? You know, you all know I'm macro to the core, but being able to just talk to you all in fellowship about social work, about being Black in social work. I mean, this, this was a great evening for me, right? But I want to make sure that other people can keep up with you all the work that you're doing i know a few of you got different ventures going on so i just want to make sure there's space here to plug anything that you got going that you want to share with the folks listening
3: yeah you can follow me um just go to www.hiphopsocialworker.com and everything you need to know about me is is there
2: now plug them go 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 look bit deeper than yeah. that, Chris. Come on, come come on in, man! Like, get out of here, bro. Go in,
4: Chris. Come, come
2: on. on, come on, talk, talk, talk to me, man. Talk yeah. to me. You uh, got podcast.
3: Yeah. You do yeah. therapy. You got your uh, social. Bird.
2: Come on, man. Stop talking.
3: Come on. Okay. All right. So yeah, I do have a podcast, the Hip Hop Social Worker Podcast. Um, I talk to different social workers, but I, I recently retired, but I'm back in the game to, um, in a macro oh. space. I want to talk. You
0: didn't retire, bro.
3: That's whole. No, I, I definitely retired, but he, he <laughs> the game still gonna love me. Ace. He pulled the black album.
1: <laughs> he, he pulled the black album on us, right?
3: right. So yeah, so but I, I I had um I had a vision to do um a project called Social Work is More Than Therapy to highlight macro social work opportunities for anybody who's in social work, a student, professional, whoever, you know, somebody who has questions, but. I got such a um, overwhelming response that I kind of thought, okay, well, I might as well start doing podcasts again. So, that I do see, I do see, pay, do see uh, clients in Portland in the port in the state of Oregon because it's all telehealth. So, um, yeah, and I just you know I have an Instagram account that that you know that I post kind of you know um, motivational mental health things on there, kind of funny things sometimes, uh, social justice things. Um, things that provoke thought Um, I also just recorded a spoken word uh, EP that you can find on uh, on my website and on iTunes now and it should be on all platforms soon Uh, I figured I have the equipment my brother and my friend made some music so I just kind of did what I do over some over some beats and let's see if I can sell a hundred thousand copies. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, baby. You yeah. Talk
2: to him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm gonna be Chris Hyman. Just talk yeah. to him like that, son. Yeah. That's what we doing <laughs> on <in> Portland, Oregon, <laughs> B. It's yeah, all crazy like this, boy. You know what I'm saying?
3: <laughs> Y'all know yeah,
0: that disappear, man. No yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. I
3: you. Hey, hey, you, you got to hype me up every day, man. I need, mean, I need that every day. I day. gonna wake up. You feel me? That's what we <laughs> talking about, B. That's yeah. what we doing over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: Brazil's. me.
1: <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I go man. Hey, listen, so most of my stuff, you know, most of the people, a lot of people who listen to this probably know me at uh on Twitter uh at w Coombs, d s w. Um, right, I think my handle right now is hello dr will. It changes. Um but yeah, that, that's where, you know, I get on and if I have a thought, I put it out there. Um in terms of the professional world, I've gotten away from the individual practice. I actually got to the point, luckily um, was able to recognize that, you know, after doing the the, uh, crisis thing and then doing the palliative care thing and then doing a private practice thing, um, I didn't want to talk to nobody. I started taking therapy personal. I started taking sessions personal and it was a good time to step away from that because that would have played out in session. Um, but an opportunity presented itself where I can kind of build my own little universe. So I'm, I'm working now professionally in the uh, alcohol and substance abuse recovery world um, and doing it authentically my way, um, but some of my other endeavors. Um, so I was able to last year finally stop playing and put some music out. Um, Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, uh, that was that was fun. Like that's something that I've been kind of dabbling in for a while, and then just collecting it, putting it together, and seeing what happens with it. Um, and that was my safe album. That was it was called Authentic. Uh, it's-, it's on every platform, uh, and that was just me saying, "Hey, listen, I do this." And now mm-hmm. I have another one called Idols. That's a little bit more, a little bit more. Like hey, let me let me spread my wings a little bit and and really get into this thing and put some music out that tells a little bit more of a story. That's a little less safe. Um, it's a little more polished, so I'm really looking forward to releasing that soon. And I'm actually waiting on my bro Chris to send me the file so I can get him on the feature. Send I him the stems, baby. Yeah, bro, send me the feature, bro, because <laughs> I already have the music ready for you, dude. I need your voice. The track is gonna be called Chris.
4: I'm oh, okay. I'm
1: gonna go Christopher. It's gonna be called Christopher. I'm gonna go Let's with do it the, with the full <laughs> name. Yes, sir. Right? That's and, bro. S- send me the th- send me the voice file, and I will turn it into art. I got That's you. What I'll do. Drop that tip, um, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> send that, is, that link, yeah. D. Send, send the <laughs> link. Yeah, um, but, but that's kind of me, man. And it has been fun to kind of expound, expand into all these avenues that make up me, but also recognize that it's all the same person. So yes, you can get on the mor- in the morning and talk about mental health and be serious about it. And in the evening, you can plug your album and you can do your spoken word and you can write your book like my boy Trey Do everything that is you. And that's kind of what I've learned in 2020. And I can't wait to see how that grows in 2021.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't know how to follow up these amazing black men doing the thing out here, man, you know what I'm saying? But I'll I, I try, like I said, it's your local favorite, local neighborhood social worker, your favorite therapist, therapist, the AI of the social work thing. Um, now I'm saying?
0: But, but somebody again, who said they just said that the first time, you was way too
2: smooth. <laughs> 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 I've been practicing. Yeah, I've been practicing. Yes, yeah, sir. Nah, but like I said, my name, like I said, Gary Trey Taylor, I'm, I'm retro, G, retro underscore GT on Twitter. And um, Instagram, Facebook. Well, Facebook is not not that much anymore. But I'm just Gary or uh, Trey Taylor on that. You can follow me on www.uphold318.com. That is everything that I've got going on, everything I'm doing. I am a um, licensed therapist in the state of Virginia. I'm completely virtual practice right now. And I'm accepting some guys. I do exclusively work with um black men at this moment. I, I'm not discriminating on anybody else. I, I can still take other people. Um, But, you know, my focus right now is on black men. So you can go on um, the website to book a session if you're in the state of Virginia. Um, I also have a a men's group called the Goodfellas Project that meets monthly, where we talk about life stress and mental health. Um, And that is coming up, I think in two Saturdays, it's gonna be completely virtual via Zoom. Um, And that's monthly until about November. And then I am an author as well. I'm the author of You Good Fam, Analysis of Mental Health in the Black Community. You can get that on the website as well um, for purchase of about $15. And then um, right now, you know, if you follow me on my Instagram or Twitter, I'm pretty much gonna be talking about basketball. All year sneakers, mm-hmm. and sneakers, and I throw in some macro work because I want to be a macro social worker, but they won't let me in for some reason. I want to be with James and them, but they won't let me in. Um, I <laughs> I do I do love doing a lot of racial and social justice um, conversations and issues like that, and, and doing that macro work because that's very important to me. That's where I, that's the reason why I got into social work. I just fell into the clinical work and been hitting the ground running with that, but. If you go on my Instagram, you're going to see a lot of posts about, you know, for me and my family, some church stuff. Um, and then you're going to see the sneakers. And next, as you guys know, the OG Sneakerhead Chronicles part two is on the way. I will be tapping you guys to see if y'all want to jump in on that. Um, and yeah, you can be more than just a social worker, man, and just do clinical therapy work. You can be way more than that. Don't be scared to be authentic and show your true self. You might be, that might be the way to get your ideal client.
1: What you need to do is drop the plug because Trey's shoe shoe game is phenomenal, <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. Like I'm, I'm trying to catch that man, but, like, but. light,
2: that's light man. That's light, Well, that's light, that's light. I'm trying to catch him too,
4: man. <laughs>
2: Mm-mm man, nah, I just be, I, I you know, I got my ways, I got my ways, so. <laughs> you know, sneakers I have actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ain't, I only hit on sneakers once last year and that was for the Jubilees and so I, I, I you know hey, i got,
1: got the jubilees bro like they, they was my first 11s in my entire life that's the only shoe i ever wanted ever really and and the jubilees was the first version of 11s that i ever got
2: wow i love the elevens i've never heard anybody say that that's yeah. crazy yeah wow man.
1: i've that's missed a lot in part. my <laughs> life it's not
0: like jordan keep retro and we'll be we'll be here all for
1: forever <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah yeah exactly Hey, bros, I really appreciate y'all hopping on the podcast. I mean, I know there's going to be some young black social work student out there who hears this and like, yeah, there's, there's space for me. And I just know that we'll, we'll invite them to the table, man. So I appreciate y'all and keep doing the work that y'all do It's so necessary.
2: Man, absolutely, man. Appreciate mm-hmm. you for having us.
4: Yeah, brother. Appreciate mm-hmm. you.
0: That was a heavy episode but heavy in a really good way. I I felt when I mentioned that feeling of liberation, completely true. It's rare that you find fellowship with other folks who are united in that way. And so again, thank you to Dr. Coombs to Trey and to Chris for hopping on the line. I think when we discuss therapy, one, there's just so much stigma attached to it, but also no one really takes the time to think about the professional and their experience. We have two more episodes this month. Be on the lookout next week because we're doing an episode a week this month for Gina Gimble, And we're going to talk all about continuing education. Follow us on social media for any updates. That is at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram and at Equity Matters PC on Twitter We also have the Facebook Equity Matters page, like us there. Sign up for the Listserv. Until we talk next week, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and know that equity matters.